This episode contains adult language and topics that may be disturbing for some listeners. Such topics include suicide, drug use, physical or sexual abuse of a child. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Grant. And I'm Erica. And this is From From Crime Crime to to Crime. Crime. Welcome back from Crime to Crime. Hey, buddy. How's it going? Is it weird seeing my face do it now? It is awkward. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) We're recording with video for the first time in a long time since really we started this. So now Erica is having to see my face with the audio. So yep, you okay with it? Yeah, I think we're going to get through it. Dude, are you drinking Dutch Brothers right now? Like, it's almost time for bed. Grant, I will drink coffee whenever in the hell I want to drink coffee, okay? When you go to the doctor and get your blood taken, do they like take it and it comes back like test positive for coffee? And th- is that your blood type? <laughs> yeah. C positive. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. She's yeah. caffeinated positive. No doubt. Yep. So today, this episode, we're going to be talking about 14-year-old Laureen Ron. She disappeared in April of 1980. Still missing? Yes. Oh, man. That's why we're doing a case on her. Yeah. It's been a long time. Yep. 43 years. So a little background on Lorene. It was just her and her mom. Her dad skedaddled when she was a baby and they weren't close. There's not really any mention of him hardly at all in any of the reporting of this case. So it's just Lorene and her mom. And they live in a two-bedroom apartment on the third floor in Manchester, New Hampshire. Oh, New Hampshire. That's a new state. We've never been there before. Yeah, we just went there last week. No, I meant physically. We'd ne- we've never been to New Hampshire yeah. before. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So their apartment buildings, though, are not like what you and I are used to, like big apartment buildings with the doors on the outside and stuff. These apartments are like six to nine units, and they just look like a big house that was built like in the early 1900s. Yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. My friend Little Zach in Vermont lives in one like that. So they just have like one or two units on each floor, and it's three floors. So her and her mom live on the top floor. Okay. So just so you get an idea of where we're at here. Kind of a cool setup, honestly. Like, it looks like you live in a house, but really you just live in, like, a room. I dig that. Yeah, so Laureen was a pretty good kid. She was into singing and dancing, and she wanted to be an actress someday. She was a straight-A student in her middle school, and she was super close with her mom. Although there are some reports that said that she was starting to hang out with a bad crowd, drinking and smoking weed and stuff. But she had never gotten in any major trouble, and she had really good grades in school. So from what we can prove on paper, she was a good kid. (laughs) Just like you. Yeah. That kind of reminded me a lot of me, though. I was like, (laughs) this is exactly how they would have described me. Yeah. On paper, great. But in uh, actuality, she is a menace Yeah, they're like, she's 14 and drinking, huh? Everybody was talking a lot of shit, and I was like, nah, I get it. Were you drinking at 14? Oh, yeah. It's funny talking to your mom sometimes, because she's like, no, Erica was like doing like so well-behaved, and I was like... Well, yeah, she's not supposed to tell you about that stuff, but trust me, she was doing that type of stuff. (laughs) Yeah. No, I was generally a pretty good kid, though. I didn't get, I same like Lorena. I didn't get in trouble for anything. You didn't get caught so. for anything to get in trouble. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so on Saturday, April 26th, Lorene was supposed to go with her mom, Judith, to an out of town tennis match. I guess Judith's boyfriend was a professional tennis player. Cool. So th- <laughs> this video is not going to work out. <laughs> <laughs> no, tennis is way cool. 
Yeah, Grant said cool and shook his head no. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, they used to go to these tennis matches together. And, you know, because obviously they're going to sit together in the crowd and then watch her boyfriend play tennis. So it was like super common for them to do that. But this weekend was the start of spring break for Lorene. She begged her mom to let her stay home so she could hang out with her friends instead of going to this tennis match. And Judith kind of him hot about it, but eventually she agreed. And she gave her like the normal rules, like be careful, lock the door, don't do dumb shit while I'm gone. You know, the usual mom talk. She pretty much was like, hey, we don't live in the greatest neighborhood. Like, don't leave the doors unlocked. Don't hang out outside at night, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. So when Judith and her boyfriend come back from this tennis match to Judith and Lorene's apartment, it was late, late late that night technically early the next morning it was like 1 15 in the morning and when they go inside they're kind of confused because the building is dark like all the hall lights on the first floor were off so they stumbled to the stairs and up to the second floor same thing so they stumbled up the next flight of stairs to the third floor and there's still no hallway lights so they're like, is there a power outage or a blown fuse or something? Like, that's kind of weird. Yeah, for those common areas, I mean, those are almost always lit up, either through natural light or light, yeah. <laughs> electricity. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so they thought it was like a power outage or a blown fuse. But when they get to Judith's front door, she went to unlock it and the door was already unlocked. She was pretty irritated that Lorene forgot to lock it because that was like one of the things she told her was like, hey, make sure you keep the doors locked. So they go inside and she peeks in Lorene's room and she's sound asleep on her bed. So Judith starts to get ready for bed herself. And then they find the back door not only also unlocked, but open. Like, oh shit. Open. Right. Like, not and closed, but open. Open. Yes. Wow. Ajar. Oh, okay. Yeah. I like that. So this is super irritating to Judith because. Manchester isn't known as like Mayberry, especially back then. There was like not some good stuff going on in the neighborhood as far as crime goes. So she was more than a little bit irritated that she left not only the front door unlocked, but the back door wide open. Wide open, yeah. So she goes into Lorene's room and flips on the light. But to her shock, it was not Lorene in her bed. Uh, (laughs) okay. Who was it? So it was a friend of Lorene's. Oh, well, thank goodness, man. Honestly, I was like, you have no idea who's like, yeah. oh, the door's open. I'll just find a place to sleep. No, no, no. It was a friend of Lorene's from school whose name was Kristen. And we don't really even know if that was her na- real name because she was, th- all these kids are minors. So true. Yeah. We're making up names probably. So Judith asked her where Lorene is, and she said, I don't know. She grabbed a pillow and a blanket a little while ago and said she was going to go sleep on the couch. Like they had gone to go to bed in Lorene's room, and then Lorene decided to sleep on the couch. The pillow and blanket were on the couch, but no Lorene. Everybody kind of starts to panic a little bit at this point because she's not there. But of course, they look around the apartment building first and around the apartment building, and things aren't really adding up. Her brand new shoes are there. She had just gotten like two weeks before for her 14th birthday, and her purse was there. Everything. All of her stuff was there. It was just like she wasn't. Ugh. Not good. No. So they started calling friends and relatives, you know, in the middle of the night and like, hey, have you seen Loreen? You know, and nobody had seen her. So by 3.45 a.m., Judith was kind of out of ideas on where she could be. And so she called the police. Probably the best next best person to call. The police showed up and in their typical 1980s police fashion, they were like, well, she's 14. So obviously she ran away. Quit being hysterical. She'll come home soon. That really was like. 
the lawless land mentality of all of this. Just like, well, they will or won't come back. Anyway, moving on. It's like, no, this is yeah. a big deal. Like, did you miss the part where she was 14? Right. I don't even care if she did run away. Like, it's three o'clock in the morning. You got to find her. Like, yeah, nothing good happens in the middle of the night. Never. Like, and it takes you a while to learn that. You'd be like, you know what? Let's just go to bed. Like, there's yeah. nothing worthwhile <laughs> totally. happening right now. But 100%. at 14, I can understand being awake at 14 and being like, hey, what's going on at night? I remember my mom used to say that. Nothing good. Yeah. So Judith felt the same way and she kind of argued with them and she was like, but look, her brand new shoes are here. Her purse is here, her makeup, her clothes, literally nothing is missing. Like if she ran away, she would at least take her purse and her makeup and her brand new shoes that she begged for. At least the shoes, man. Like you're not going to yeah. run away without shoes. Right? Whether she ran away or not, you got to find her. She's 14. So the police asked Kristen what happened the night before. Like, what'd you guys do? What happened? Kristen was kind of quiet at first, probably because she didn't want to get in trouble for what they did. Yeah, fair. And she probably didn't want to get Lorene in trouble in case Lorene came back. Definitely. Yeah, but eventually she told them that earlier in the day, they were at the Superette down the street, which is like a little corner liquor store, tiny supermarket thing. I, I don't know. That's what I got out of it. It looked like a small liquor store. Paul Market. Yeah, pretty much like a, like that. By the way. If you haven't, you need to see pictures of Paul Market. They've redone it. It's like a real like happening place. And it's like, you're Paul Market. You're just yeah. supposed to sell me like Raven's Revenge and Sobeys and move on. What? Although, I guess I haven't been there since 1998 to buy Raven's yeah, Revenge and Sobeys. Yeah, I was just going to say Sobeys. Raven's Revenge. <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah. You're showing your age, bro. Dude, Raven's Revenge was dope. I know. So And Sobeys. <laughs> and Sobeys. <laughs> Dude, we were lame. Okay, Lorene and Kristen were less lame than we were because they were at the liquor store, not just to hang out with their friends and get Raven's Revenge, but apparently they spent the afternoon stocking coolers with beer and wine. <laughs> oh, and yeah. in exchange for getting paid for that, the employee gave them some beer and wine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. this, there's probably not a lot against this, huh? So it really is a lawless land. You can do that. No, there's definitely a law against this. They're under, they're 14. Could you drink at 14 in 1980? No, but the drinking age was 18, not 21 back then. Yeah, yeah but she's still not 18, so. Exactly. So there is a law against it, but you know, this liquor store was known to kind of like look the other way on IDs. I know some of those. They're mostly in Santa Ana. Yeah, that's, we'll get, we'll get to Santa Ana in this episode. Really? Yeah. From New Hampshire, from New, isn't that From New Hampshire to, to Santa Ana. Yeah. Not the typical way people go. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe you said that. That's kind of funny. So this liquor store, like I said, they just kind of looked the other way. So the kids were known to hang out there. Like that was like a common meeting place in the neighborhood. And so after they had stocked the shelves that day and then got beer and wine exchanged for their services. <laughs> I love they that. went back. To, <laughs> they went back to Lorene's apartment to drink and hang out and listen to music, you know, just be... 14 year olds that's such a 14 year old thing to do too like hey i'll help you do this if you give me booze okay cool yeah and then just go home yo yeah 100 percent. it's like where else are you gonna go the the park and drink it i guess yeah <laughs> no you're gonna go home that's what we always did so they didn't go back alone though they actually had a boy over possibly two boys but most reports only mention the one boy and his name has never been released probably because he was also a minor so we're gonna call him john okay because that's easy. Is he a good guy? Can we call him Good John? Uh, no. Well, no. bad guy. No, we don't know. 
actually. Oh, okay. You'll find out why. We'll just call him John. Yeah, we don't know anything about him. His name's never been released, so. Anyway, around 1230, they were hanging out, and they heard voices in the hallway. And John and Lorene kind of panicked a little bit because they thought it was Judith and her boyfriend coming home. So John scurried out the back door in a hurry because he didn't want Lorene's mom to catch him not only drinking, but being in her apartment at 1230 at night. So he went out the back door, which was probably they already probably had that plan when they heard her mom come and he would go out the back door. Like, you always have a plan in place to get him out. 100%. He's jumping out the window if he has to. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So he says that Lorene closed the door behind him, though, and he heard her lock it. So him leaving out the back door is not when the door got left open is the point of that. Okay, I gotcha. So after he leaves out the back door, Kristen and Lorene realize that it wasn't Judith. And they just kind of laughed about it and decided to settle in for the night because they were pretty tipsy. Remember, they're 14 and they've been drinking. Yeah, wine spritzers really does it. Yeah. So Kristen went to bed in Lorene's room and Lorene grabbed a pillow and a blanket and said she was going to go to bed on the couch. That's where Kristen thought she was until Judith came home 45 minutes later and Kristen said she didn't hear or see anything unusual. Like she didn't hear Lorene leave or hear anybody else. Nothing. I mean, if she's asleep and, you know, she's Mm -hmm. been drinking... It's not unheard of that she's not going to hear noise or anything like that. Obviously, if it was big and commotion, she might. Yeah, because obviously she heard Judith come home. Right. So she woke up at some point. Or Judith woke her up. We don't really know that for sure. Yeah, but if Lorraine was just on the couch and just kind of quietly got up and got out, that's very possible. I mean, who knows why? Right. Like I said, the police investigation was lacking, to put it nicely. But the one thing they did do was search the apartment building pretty thoroughly. And the neighbors said that they heard voices in the hall at about 1230, just like Lorene and John had. But that was it. Nothing out of the ordinary. Like, they thought it was also Judith or Lorene and her friends. Like, it wasn't obnoxious or out of control. They just heard voices in the hallway. Probably very typical, you know? They live with other people. Mm Mm-hmm. The not typical thing, though, that they found was the hallway lights. Remember how it was dark when they came up? Yeah. It was not a blown fuse or anything like that. Each individual light bulb had been unscrewed just to the point where it would turn off. What? Mm-hmm. Oh, that is nefarious. On all three floors. There is no logical reason for that to have happened. None. Wow. Except to be a, either a teenager playing a dumb prank that he thinks is funny or she thinks is funny. That's a lot of work, though, for a prank. That's kind of how I felt. And what's the payoff? You don't get to yeah. see the people's reaction. And it's not that great of a prank. So. <laughs> yeah. Even if you did, it would just be people going, why the fuck is it dark in here? Oh, man. <laughs> okay. I don't like where this is going, but okay. Yeah. Awkward, huh? Super. Like calculated weird move you know Mm -hmm. like somebody's done this before kind of stuff right i would like to know how high these lights were too because yeah you and me both yeah because that could be a big indicator of of what happened like who's going around with a ladder you know unscrewing these things just enough and then going up to each floor going in the ladder out and getting it like also this is 1980 so you know those light bulbs were hot as fuck they weren't like LED cool to the touch light bulb like they were hot as fuck yeah this person had to be wearing gloves or use a rag take your jacket put your hand in in it and do it like that yeah maybe yeah if they were just a light bulb but also we don't know how many light bulbs were in each hallway you know maybe it was just one light bulb per floor we don't really know 
even still, I want to know how high those things were because that, that could be a very telltale sign. Did somebody have to stand on a banister of the stairs to get to it? Yeah. Could they do that? You know, could they just stand flat footed? Yeah. We don't know. And we'll never find out. So it could have been three people on each other's shoulders going all the way up to the top. Could have been, but we'll never know. Cause we don't know. We don't, I mean, maybe someday we'll know, but we don't know still to this day. So just let that one brew in your mind. Cause it's weird. I don't like that one. That one sits on, is going to sit with me. Cause uh-huh. Why? I know. Does it is why. We don't know. So the police also contacted John, the guy who was hanging out with the girls that night, but everything that he said happened that night lined up with Kristen's account pretty much exactly the same. So they cleared John right away. Like he didn't have any weirdness around him. They were just like, "No, he was just a friend that was hanging out." Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So there were a few sightings of Lorene, which happens a lot in missing persons cases always way too many people think they've seen these people and you have to call it in you know like it's one of those things where it's like better to do than not to do but it, of course ca- at least in your mind it causes so many issues though for the police yeah it does and none of these sightings were ever confirmed but not like they probably didn't investigate them very well anyway but there were some from bus stations one in boston they're you know just like random sightings So in the initial stages of the investigation, there was a newspaper article that said that the police had a suspect, but they never named who that suspect was. But apparently he was a 35-year-old guy who was known to invite young girls to his apartment to drink. Oh, good. Yeah. And he was known to be kind of like into kids, which seems like a weird thing to be into. But A terrible thing to be known for, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, this yeah. Is the, that's just our, our chomo. He's the resident one, you know. Exactly. Keep, keep your kids away. Yeah, exactly. So they searched this guy's apartment, apparently, but they never connected him to Lorene, and they never released his name. So we don't know who he is. God, imagine just the cops are showing up at your house randomly because you have a reputation for being terrible, and they're like, yeah, yeah well, we got- For liking your- kids. Right. Like, okay, you're you're the first check off on our list. Like, just got to find out. Exactly. So the police are still acting like she's a runaway. Even as the days turned into weeks and months, they kept telling Judith to wait that Lorene would come home. That was literally their go to was like, just wait. She'll come home. It's like, no, just do something and you'll find her to bring her home. What police department is this again? Manchester, New Hampshire. Okay, but this is every police department in the whole country at the time. (laughs) I mean, I mean, I know I get it. There's tons of missing people at this time. And everyone's just kind of like, we don't know. We don't have the internet. Yeah. I would like to see the numbers, though, on how many kids did run away and would just show up back at home. Like, was it enough to justify this reaction from police on every one of these missing people? Because I feel like 45 years later, we're just still talking about all these missing people. Like, did a lot of them come home or not that many of them? That's a really, really good question. And I mean, there's the one hand where it's like, yeah, like. Kids do kind of disappear. I mean, think about when you were a kid and stuff and like your friends kind of went off and you're like, God, I hope they show back up in time. Like (laughs) you got to kind of trust them. And obviously they always did. And you're like, thank goodness. But what if they don't? 
We never had that happen. They always showed up again. So I'm sure there are a lot of cases of people going missing and they just show back up again. But then there's cases like this and lots of other reasons where they are gone. Yeah. That makes sense? Or was that just kind of a a random? No, I get what you're saying. But I feel like those kids that were like gone and then showed back up, that was like hours. Not like if they get to the point where their parents are calling the cops and reporting them missing and they're gone for days at a time. It's like, I feel like how many of them really showed back up? Because I feel like we could have 30,000 true crime podcasts about missing people from the 80s that never showed back up. I can't say from the 80s, but I can say from experience that sometimes people go missing and they do show back up. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. I know Mm. who you mean. And And, and you hate it and you're like, dude, what the hell? But it happens. And it happens to 14-year-olds. It shouldn't, but it does. Although we talk about a lot of 14-year-olds it happens to. I know. Anyway, even as the days turned into weeks, they're just telling Judith to chill. She'll she'll come home. She has no history of doing this, though, does she? Of just disappearing and coming back. Okay. None. And she has no history of, like, getting in trouble or drug use or anything like that. Like, Yeah, that's right. Yeah. No, she's a good kid. Anyway, they just keep telling her to wait, that she'll come home. But then Judith starts getting phone calls randomly in the middle of the night. Ironically, usually around 3.45 a.m., which happens to be the time that she reported Lorene missing. Yeah. That's really, really weird. Yep. And the caller wouldn't say anything. Just would hang up. She'd pick up. There'd be nothing going on. She'd just hang up. How many times does this happen? It's not really documented, but it says regularly. Okay. Not every day, but regularly. And it also said that the calls would increase around the holiday times. Like, so around Christmas and Thanksgiving, the calls would increase in number. Mm, That doesn't feel good. No, but Judith wasn't the only one that was getting weird calls either. Lorene's Aunt Janet got a call from a girl asking for Mike, which was her son, Michael. But by the time Michael would come to the phone, there'd be nobody there. The caller would hang up but oddly Lorene was the only one who called her cousin Mike everybody else called him Michael and it was a woman a woman who called mm-hmm. yeah so they didn't like that they were like this is weird they didn't recognize the voice though because I mean you'd think they'd recognize her voice it's his cousin you would think but oh. there was another strange phone call to a classmate of Lorene's too named Roger Roger's mom answered the call and she said that the caller identified herself as Lori or Lorene and she said that she was Roger's ex-girlfriend and now at this point this had been been a couple of years. Roger wasn't home. The mom said the girl hung up, but Roger believes it was Lorene because they had briefly dated like a couple years before Lorene went missing. So he thinks that she might have just remembered his phone number and called him, but I don't know. I mean, she's 16, 17 at this point. It's not out of the question, but I don't think it's likely. No, I don't think so either, but it's part of the story. So... There's no reason given either why a tap and trace wasn't put on Judith's phone, except that police really thought she was a runaway and just didn't want to show up and do their job. I don't know. Like, I have no idea why. If she was getting these phone calls regularly, why didn't they tap and trace her phone? Yeah, absolutely. I don't get it. But 1980, man. Lawless land, baby. Yeah. I did kind of tell you that about the phone calls that went over a few years, the phone calls did. But now we're going to go back to the year she went missing in October. Okay. So it had been six months since she went missing. And Judith opened her phone bill. And there were some pretty interesting charges on her phone bill. On her phone bill? Really? Yes. Okay. So three long distance calls were made from California, but charged to her account in New Hampshire. Why? <laughs> She doesn't know. She doesn't know anybody in California. But somebody used her phone account to make a long distance call from California to another location in California. Do you have any idea how this would work? Yes. 
I okay. I researched the shit out of this. Please because share because I don't. It get does it. not make any sense. It still doesn't really make any sense. But apparently, back then, if you were out of state or out of your local area, you could make a long distance call and charge it to your home phone bill. You would have to call the operator and tell them you want to charge it to your home phone bill. You'd have to give them the phone number and the name on the account and possibly even a password or a PIN number. And then the operator would charge the call that you made to your home phone number. How convoluted. Man, yeah. it's a good thing we got cell phones. Yeah, it's really weird. And it's possible that that's what happened here. But we're going to get into this because all three calls originated from a payphone at a Santa Monica motel. They originated from a Santa Monica motel. Yes. So they were made okay. from a payphone at a at a motel in Santa Monica. Two of the calls were made to another payphone at a motel in Santa Ana. Okay. And the third call was made to a teen sexual assistance hotline. Huh? I, I, I don't even want to say it. I think it's illegal for me to say. <laughs> it's a teen sexual assistance hotline. Um, Go into detail, but not a lot. I don't want okay. to know a ton. <laughs> well, we don't know a ton, so... We wish we did, but we don't. But from what it sounds like, I mean, back then, teenagers didn't have Google to ask questions about sex or... Is this what they would do? They would call a hotline that would answer questions for them? I guess. I We don't really know. There's going to be a lot of weirdness around this hotline, but... <laughs> That's what it sounds like to me. Sexual assistance, like maybe they're having questions then they need answers to. Oh. They don't have the googs. Yeah. Sexual. That is, okay. That's very odd. And like. And <laughs> it's you, very odd. Do they call and get a recording and like press one for like boy parts and press two for girl parts? Or do they get like a live person who's like, hey, you got a question about, about how it works? Well, I'm pretty sure it was the live person. We're going to find out. But I don't know. I mean, maybe we should ask somebody that's like our parents' age if they if this was like a common thing back then. I probably should have done that as part of my research. You can ask yours. Mine are dead. So you can go ahead and ask yours and see what they say. Or you can see what they say about this. <laughs> that's right. I got, I got extras for you. Thank you. You're welcome. You can borrow them. Anyway, we don't know a lot about this hotline, but what we do know is that Judith wanted the police to go to California and follow up with this because she's like, if my daughter is using a payphone in California to call other payphones in California, maybe she's alive in California. Seems like a likely scenario. Right? I mean, we're all thinking sex trafficked at this point, right? Yes. So, okay. I mean, I don't know if they are in 1980, but we are now. Okay, I just want to make sure. Yeah. So Judith wanted the police to go to California and check this out. And the police were like, nah, it's probably just a billing error or some kind of clerical error. I don't think that's what happened, but I can see how they'd be like, we don't know clerical error and just move on with it. Yeah, but it's like, wouldn't you just check it out and make sure? After six months, yeah. I think that that's a pretty good timeline to be yeah. like, hey, they probably could have gotten from there to here in this in this amount of time. Yeah. To me, it was like, wow. So Judith decided to reach out to the FBI because she was like, well, obviously the Manchester police are not going to help. So she reaches out to the FBI. And at the time, they said, we can't help. We're not on the case. There's no evidence that she was kidnapped. But they did give her the contact info for two private investigators that were retired FBI agents. So Judith hired them to look into these calls. These FBI agents went to California and looked into the motels and they didn't come up with a lot except that they were shady motels in shady areas. But when they tracked down the teen sexual assistance hotline information, they came across a doctor who ran it. 
or a guy who says he's a doctor. We don't really know. If he's a doctor. <laughs> In 1980, so, they weren't checking. They weren't checking no. diplomas. They're like, yeah, you're fine. Yeah, he put DR period on his business card. <laughs> so, <laughs> Handwritten. <laughs> yeah. So they questioned him, and he said he had no idea who Lorene was, and he didn't recognize her. He did say that she might have called the hotline, but it was for teens who were having trouble or who had questions or were runaways and looking for support. So it's not like they were asking for IDs or anything. Yeah, I imagine that. I wouldn't think they were. Yeah, so that was kind of a dead end. There were a few things done over the years in her case, like hypnotizing Kristen to see if she could remember anything else from that night, but nothing came of that. And the police did finally start looking into this and admitting that she probably wasn't a runaway after quite a long time. Well, look at that. Yeah, and they did a few searches and tracking down leads that went nowhere and some of the investigators that got involved in the case like a little later on were pretty obsessed with it and tried really hard to find leads but when you come into something that's already five years old or seven years old and nothing was done in the beginning, it's pretty hard to get anywhere. The TV tells us we have 48 hours if we're going to find somebody. Yeah. Another thing that happened five years after her disappearance in 1985, John, the boy who was with them that night, yeah. committed suicide. Oh. Well, I mean... That may or may not be connected. You know, I mean, uh, that doesn't feel great. No, it doesn't. And a lot of people think that's suspicious as fuck. Well, it is. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it doesn't mean that he did something. But yeah, it's right. not great in the look. It could be completely unrelated, though. He could have had his own mental health struggles or a drug problem or absolutely, you know, whatever. But it also could be survivor's guilt. You know, maybe he feels guilty that he yeah. left that night and it wasn't her mom in the hallway. Yeah, fair. Like I said, we don't really know, but Judith was running out of options and resources pretty quickly, and she was getting fed up with the police's, like, lackluster response to Lorraine's case. Meanwhile, another bunch of parents, including John and Revae Walsh, were also getting pretty sick of that shit, so they started neck-neck. Judith reached out to them for help in Lorraine's case, and they followed up on the California leads, and they tracked down that doctor again from the hotline. Dr. Nick. Well, we don't know his name. Sorry, that was a Simpsons reference, and I realized as I said it, you'd never sing the Simpsons. No, I have no idea. The Simpsons have a fake doctor named Dr. Nick, and it would have been funny for anybody else but you to hear. Oh, okay. So once Neckmeck gets involved, the new investigators are realizing like the original ones probably didn't do the greatest job. And they all start trying to follow up on these California leads like six years too late, but they're trying. And by the time they track down these leads again and they find that doctor from the sex hotline, his story changed. Ah, I don't like this either. Now he says maybe she did contact them through the hotline. His wife used to take in teenage runaways, so maybe she was one of the runaways that his wife took in. His wife? Now, hear me out. I'm thinking they (laughs) live together. Yeah. So I'm thinking they collectively do this and are now running some kind of... Yes. Teen sex ring, right? Yes, that's what everybody's okay. thinking. Yeah. My wife, she she takes him in, but I'm I we don't I don't know. I don't live there. Like, come on, man. Yeah. It's getting pretty awkward. Like the whole fact that you were running a teen sex hotline is weird to begin with, and now you're saying that your wife used to take some of these girls in. Like this is not this is not right. In the purest form of this sex hotline, like I was thinking about it, in the very purest form, I do like that there's a place for, you know, kids to ask questions and feel comfortable and yes. it's anonymous. I like that. But in practice and in reality, nope. this isn't the place to I don't do this, like and it this at is all. super weird, and I don't like it at all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is why, because they end up at some doctor's house. Yeah. 
right? Like who may oh, or you're... may not be a doctor. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're you're running away. Come to my house. Perfect. Oh, your parents have no idea where you are. Great. Yeah. And the cops don't care. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> like no. This is fucked up. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So the doctor's story changes, which is awkward. He also gives them the name of a woman named Annie Sprinkle. And he says that this Annie Sprinkle might know Lorene or if she was one of the girls that came through. Howdy, y'all. It's Annie Sprinkle. That was so wholesome that you think that's what this pseudonym is all about. Oh, it's not. No. It turns out Annie Sprinkle was a fairly popular adult film star at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Shit. I thought she was like a Dolly Parton. No. Not quite the same scale oh man no and so they tracked down annie sprinkle and she said that she knew the wife of the doctor they were friends and she knew about the hotline but she said that she had never met anybody from the hotline and didn't know why he would ever give them her name or anything she's like why would i ever meet teenage runaways like what are you talking about that's a weird thing to even be involved in this whole thing is getting weirder and weirder like it all kind of made sense and i was like okay and then we brought up the teen sex hotline and yeah it just fell apart Yeah, I'm like, I don't even know. We're getting back around. So okay. to be sure that Annie Sprinkle didn't know Lorene and wasn't the one that brought her to this doctor's house or anything, they decided to watch all of her films to... <laughs> what? <laughs> the police decided to watch all of her films <laughs> just to confirm that Lorene wasn't in any of them. I was like, now, okay. I understand <laughs> that they need yeah. to do this. I get it. Yeah. It was bound to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Since then, Annie Sprinkle has gotten her PhD in sex education and is an advocate for sex ed and pro-safe sex work and stuff. She's never been in trouble with the law. She doesn't seem to have any connection to Lorene. That's like a weird thing that happened with that doctor guy. So she's like a sex ed doctor now? Yes. So following up on the motel leads, I guess, because the doctor lead kind of, he just gave like weird stories and it kind of went nowhere. So they follow up on the motel leads and the police in California now let them know that they were investigating that motel in Santa Monica as a place that was known to film pornography. And same thing with that motel in Santa Ana. In fact, there was an investigation going on because it was thought that those two motels were used to film child pornography. In those two same hotels, they didn't change In the two same motels that the calls came from. Apparently this ring was led by an unknown suspect. Doctor. Who who went by the alias Dr. Z. No way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah way. What? Yeah. So despite the very, very obvious coincidence that this hotline was run by a creepy ass doctor, they were never able to connect the two doctors, the Dr. Z or the doctor that ran the hotline. And the Dr. Z was never identified as far as I could tell in the investigation into the child pornography. They never found out who he was. Well, he's probably the same doctor, so they're probably the same person. Yeah, but they've never said who that is either. So that's wild, man. Yeah. And that was pretty much the last lead in Lorene's case before. Before it went cold. In the late 80s, her mother Judith remarried and moved to Florida. She still advocates for her daughter's case, of course, but nothing has come up in 43 years since she went missing. My goodness. The only thing that's come up is in 2005, Judith was contacted by Clark County, Nevada, which is Vegas. Your team. Mm-hmm. And she was asked for a DNA sample because they thought she might have been a possible match to the Arroyo Grande Jane Doe. <gasps> 
Oh, that would have made a lot of sense. Yeah, because she went missing six months before Arroyo Grande Jane Doe was found. Oh, wow. Yeah, that would have made a lot of sense. Yeah, and following up on the trafficking lead, you know, with the porn rings and all that kind of stuff, obviously Vegas would be a place you might end up, you know? Totally, yeah. DNA ruled her out as Royal Grande Jane Doe, and she ended up being identified as a 17-year-old from Albuquerque, New Mexico. So, obviously wasn't Lorene. So, that's the story so far of Lorene Ron, which brings us to... Theoryland! Yep. Did you, did you like Theory that? Theoryland. Yeah, I did. So, there's really only two major possibilities once you rule out the asinine runaway theory. Because she didn't take anything with her, and she would have contacted her family sometime over 43 years. Hundred percent. You can convince me she ran away not taking her bag, but you can't convince me she ran away not taking her shoes. Like yeah. nobody's doing that. <laughs> and never ever being seen or heard from again. Like yeah. ever. If she'd just run away, she would have shown up at some point in her life. Completely. There is kind of another offshoot theory that something happened to her at the apartment that night with her friends and they covered it up. But I feel like that's pretty unlikely. I mean, they were 14 years old. Like 14 year olds are not smart enough to cover up even an accident. Yeah, they're not very good at anything. So, yeah. No. Like, I feel like that that would be impossibly difficult for them. And to never talk about it. They were 14. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's strange. So that really only leaves abduction for one of two reasons, either being trafficked or being murdered. But either way, she would have had to have been abducted. Totally. I mean, yeah. the the lights in the hall really weird me out. I think she was looked after. I think somebody was stalking her and yeah. going, OK, like that's the one, you know, and then whether yeah. it was a knock at the door, she opens it, boom, or. Yeah, because there was no signs of a struggle or anything. Right. So I feel like she had to have left her apartment on her own. Like, maybe she went outside for a smoke real quick. Or maybe she heard something in the hallway and just opened the door and then somebody grabbed her. Completely plausible. Totally. You, yeah. In this scenario, with this how with all of this played out, I really think that this person was planning on this and had this all mapped out. This wasn't the first time they'd done this. They knew what they were doing and they knew how to do it, knew how to do it well. But like trafficking, that's they're organized. They know what they're doing. Yep. Trafficking is a very viable theory if you give credit to the calls from California and the connections to the porn ring and the motels and and there's been unconfirmed sightings of her as a sex worker in Alaska and Boston. You know, women who look like her, people calling in tips of women who look like her including a Jane Doe from Canada that committed suicide in 1998 that Ooh. resembles her. Pretty well. Yeah. But it was just recently submitted as a like a match on NamUs and they haven't confirmed or denied, but I'm it's probably not her, but like could be. Yeah. So, but for this theory to be like real viable, I think she would have had to left leave her apartment on her own with the intention of like coming right back because she didn't take anything. Yeah. And Kristen didn't I... report any screaming or anything like that. None of the neighbors reported any hearing anything unusual. So I feel like she would have had to have either been subdued immediately or she would have had to leave on her own. Lured maybe. Yeah. Somehow. So the other reason would be for murder not trafficking. And I mean, there's always a chance that she just ran into an unsavory character and that was it. There is that chance. Yeah, she still probably left her apartment on her own and then ran into somebody. Or like you said, she was lured out. I would love, I mean, we'd all love to know what that was because she was outside for a reason. I think, who knows? Hey, she was drinking. Maybe she even went outside to throw up, you know? Yeah. 
or have a cigarette. Yeah, to have a cigarette. Yeah. Yeah. All those are likely scenarios, especially like. Or maybe she went to take the trash out before her mom got home. Maybe she went to go throw away the booze bottles. That could be. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. I remember that was always a thing when we were younger was getting rid of the evidence of what you did before your parents got home. (laughs) Like you can't throw it away in the kitchen trash. So maybe she just ran out the back door down to the trash cans behind the building or something. You know, I've never heard if the booze bottles were found in the apartment or not. Maybe that's what she was doing. Maybe she was taking the trash out. I really think this was just a crime of opportunity. And I think these people were had her on their radar and they were just waiting for the right time. And unbeknownst to her, this was their right time. Yeah. Well, because I, I think she left voluntarily. I don't think she, you know, I, I, like you said, I think she was taking the trash out, taking the bottles out. She went outside to, to yeah. throw up. She went outside to smoke. She went outside for a whole host of different yeah. reasons. Well, and it wasn't unheard of that shit was going down there at that time. That's why her mom was pissed she didn't lock the door. Like, it, the crime rate is pretty high there even now, but back then it was real bad. Yeah. So, I don't, like, it was like 21% higher than the average, like the national average. That's a big amount. Yeah. There was another 15 year old girl named Rachel Garden that went missing a little over a month before Lorene, like 30 miles away. So, I mean, that kind of, it was similar circumstances. Similar, and, yeah. Similar age, stuff like that. But the real sketchy one was a little over a month after Lorene disappeared, a woman named Denise Denault went missing. And she lived like a mile from Lorene. And it was very, very similar circumstances. She went missing late on a Saturday night, early Sunday morning, and she just vanished into thin air. She was like 10 years older than Lorene, so she was like 25, but they looked very similar. Yeah. No, I think that that plays a big part into it. Yeah, they're probably connected, you know, this. Well, it gets better. Oh, oh, wonderful. I love better. In 2017, an area on Kimball Street was searched and excavated in connection with Denise's case. But the police did not specify why. They just said, yeah, we're this is connected to the Denise Denault case. But it's hard to ignore the coincidence that Denise was living in a house on Haywood Street. No. When she went missing. <laughs> I don't remember what Haywood Street is. Is that where she is that where uh, Lorene lived too? No. When she went missing, she was living in a house on Haywood Street. And Bob Evans, who was identified in 2017, was also living at 925 Haywood Street when he, Denise went missing. No way. Do you remember Bob Evans? Larry Vanner, Terry Rasmussen from last week's episode? Still went back to uh, In the Dark. And Curtis Flowers. Yeah. yeah, of course you did. Yeah, I totally did. The serial killer from last week's episode, Terry Rasmussen. Yeah. When he was living in New Hampshire, he was living under the alias Bob Evans, and he was living on the same street that Denise Denault went missing from at the same time. He was living with another lady named Denise, who was, member little Lisa's mom? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Denise Bowden, who's still missing and presumed to be one of Rasmussen's victims. But this Denise was living just down the street from him. What? Yeah. Did we pick uh-huh. this case on purpose? Because they yes. went. What? I did. You didn't. Yeah, we did. I was yeah. there when you talked about it. <laughs> So in 2017, when they identified Bob Evans, they found this connection that he lived on the same street as this other missing woman. And something led them to search that area on Kimball Street. They haven't said what, but something led them to search that area on Kimball Street, which is another weird coincidence because Kimball was one of his aliases. Remember? Oh, yeah. When he abandoned Lisa at that RV park, he was going by Gordon Jensen, but they figured out that his name was Curtis Kimball. But that ended up being an alias 
Vegas too. Yeah, I remember. I totally remember that now. Yeah, dude, so he had lived in New Hampshire under Bob Evans. They're searching this area on Kimball Street, and then he shows up in California a couple years later using the alias Curtis Kimball. They know more than what they're saying is going on. Absolutely, here. they're learning a lot about Terry Rasmussen, and they're not putting it out there yet. But they know a lot more than they're saying. God. And they're just learning about it now, too. That's what's wild. Yeah. So another kind of interesting connection was that he was working at that mill, remember, decommissioning it? Yeah. The Wombach Mill is located at two, or was... I guess the building's still there, but it's not a mill anymore. Anyway, it's located at 250 Commercial Street. And if you Google map that and Google map Lorene's address on Merrimack Street, less than a mile. He was working less than a mile from where Lorene went missing. And he was living just down the street from where Denise Denault went missing. Did you just solve this? I mean... I'm I'm pretty positive you might have. No, but I mean, the internet is speculating about this. It's not just me. I'm not the only person who's like put all this together. This is all over web sleuths and... Your favorite Reddit. Our favorite Reddit, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there's fucking coincidences galore. Yeah. With no kidding. Terry Rasmussen, like, it's pretty messed up. Okay, but what about those calls from California? Like, that doesn't really add up if it's Terry Rasmussen, right? Unless he's gone to California? Well, I mean, his next alias was in California in 1984, like, the next time he was arrested. He was known to leave New Hampshire. Oh, man. And the next time he showed up was in California in 1984, and he was definitely in Southern California, too, because he had ties to Anaheim, Cypress, La Puente, none of which are that far from Santa Ana or Santa Monica. Especially Santa Monica, or Santa Ana. Santa Monica, they're about an hour, an hour and a half from those, but Santa Ana, I mean- No, but it's like, if he was involved with shady situations with a child pornography ring, I mean, he was a known pedophile- Yeah, clearly. So we could do 90 episodes on Terry Rasmussen's possible victims. But I just thought this one with Lorene had too many connections. Like when somebody goes missing and isn't seen for 43 years and then you find out a serial killer was working less than a mile and living less than a mile from another person. Like, yeah, you wonder, you know? Yeah. We could literally turn this podcast into like a Terry Rasmussen theory podcast. But we won't. But we could. Maybe a spinoff? We could have a spinoff. Yeah, totally. All right. So anyway, I hope someday they find out what happened to Lorene or identify more of Terry Rasmussen's victims or something. 100% to both those things. But I think if they identify Terry Rasmussen's victims, I think they're going to find Lorene too. Like it all yeah. seems to add up pretty closely, right? Well, and I also think if they could just uh, track down that doctor, I mean, he gave one story in 1980 and then a different story in 1985. What about if you ask him in 2023, what's his story now? Maybe he'll That's a good give point. you something that he didn't give you before. He, yeah, he's already forgotten. Well, especially now that Terry Rasmussen's dead. Like maybe if he did know him, he'll be like, well, I knew him. And then we could be like, okay, well, you're going to jail too. <laughs> Because it's creepy that you had a sex, teen sex hotline. I don't even like saying all those words together. Well, I noticed I didn't because I was real uncomfortable <laughs> with it. Yeah, you're like, I don't want a recording of me saying that. Yeah, you're going to end up on a list, no doubt. It's okay for you to be on a list. Oh, do you know how many lists I'm on? Do you know how much stuff I looked up for this case specifically? Well, that's why I said it's fine if you're on another list, but yeah. like, I'm pretty list free. Yeah, no, I'm on all the lists. All right, well. As you would say, that was pretty bananas. 
That was pretty fucking bananas, right? Yeah, yeah. That's why I waited for that last theory to tell you, because I was like, I mean... You might have solved it. I'm willing to go with it. Yeah. Like I said, I just don't see how a serial killer could work less than a mile from one victim and live on the same street as another and not be involved. Like, that would be yeah, too many coincidences. Way too many. Like, this dude had something to do with it. I'm going to come out and say it. Allegedly, at least. And maybe those California calls, maybe they were a bailing error. Maybe they were a clerical error. Maybe they had nothing to do with nothing but weren't there two of them three of them three once i believe two i'm starting to be like okay maybe but three three's intentional like you got to know the info to get that far and i do kind of remember that now that we talked about it i do sort of remember it but it probably cut off right when we were paying attention to things but yeah well plus when we were kids i don't think we were making too many long distance phone calls from not at home (laughs) yeah probably not I didn't leave very many places. To, I mean, my vacations, I went to San Francisco once and San Diego another time. So <laughs> I wasn't Your exactly- just like the sands? Yeah. Yeah. We, we weren't jet setting. We were driving. <laughs> yeah. She's like, anything so, that starts with a sand. And San Diego, we left early because I got sick. <laughs> so That sounds like you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just ruined everything. I didn't mean to ruin everything. I mean to get sick because <laughs> you have to you when you leave my house. You have to stop 15 times on your way home to throw up. No, not to throw up. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I was trying to be PG on our podcast. It was to pray. <laughs> I needed to pray oh, right. on the way home. Perfect. So, All right. Amen. Well, don't forget to, uh, I don't know, do whatever you want to do. This <laughs> 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 is going to be awkward for a while. <laughs> Go to our Instagram, at From Crime to Crime, our TikTok, at From Crime to Crime, and then our uh, email. This is it. This is you. What's our email? From Crime to Crime Podcast at gmail.com. See? That's Nailed how you're- it. That's how you'll take it out now. Yeah. No, you, you hate all of that. I don't. I yeah, hate you all hate of it. That. I know you do. You got change your Amazon smile was perfect for you. Yeah, I'll come up with something else. Maybe it won't be like a directive. Maybe it'll just be like, "Have a good Wednesday, guys," or something <laughs> stupid. That was real dumb too. But you know what I mean. You hate all of this. You hate Amazon. Don't forget to upload your DNA to Jed Match. Oh, there we go. See, that's not bad. Yeah, it was pretty good. Yeah. If people right. would do it. If they had more friends like you, they'd do it because you did it for me. So. I know. I did everybody I knows. I'm starting to sound like a slacker, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> you read that Instagram message. <laughs> oh, that's pretty funny. So thanks, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> Whip me into shape or whatever it said. <laughs> Yell at me or beat me. I think you beat me enough. So I don't anyway. think she said that. She said put you in your place or something. Yeah, it was violent. Yeah. You got glasses on? Yeah, these are blue light blockers because I got so many screens going on. Trying to keep yeah. my, my eyes protected. Oh, I got I just got those. My glasses that I got last week are blue light blockers. Where are they? I don't know. They're in my purse, I think. Oh, these yeah, these aren't cheaters or anything. These are just little blue eye blockers, but uh Yeah. They were look at me look at me. I look real distinguished, don't I? Yeah. They actually look like you're wearing your wife's glasses, so Oh, well. I thought they thing. were women's glasses. Well, they might be. I bought them off of uh, <laughs> Amazon. It was like the six pack, so That's funny. Don't these make me look like a hipster? These yeah, hang on. Let clear, me go get mine. Clear lenses. All right. Oh, all the way right here. Do, 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 do. Okay. I feel like they're the exact same ones you're wearing. No, man. Yours are circular. Mine are, mine are more square. Oh, okay. And they're not real. Yours are real. No, these ones aren't the real ones. These are the $20 ones I got off of Amazon for a six pack. That's why I thought they were the same ones. Did you? Let me see them up closer yeah. then. Maybe they, they definitely could be. Oh, you might just have the different version on because. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's funny. Might be. No, I'll get my real ones later, but I didn't want to keep these fine folks waiting on our podcast. (laughs) 
I'm sure you were going to cut all this out. Yeah. All right. I can't even look at these. Okay. <laughs> I know. It makes my eyes blurry. More coffee. All right. Well, I love you. All right. I love you too. I'll talk to you later. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye.